Hi friends, just wanted to say hey and give you a heads up. Um, Sarah and I recorded this episode before COVID-19 really became a serious issue. And so if you notice that we're unusually chipper and with it and not talking about how, how crazy life has become in the last three or four weeks, that's why. Um, but we did think that the topic of today's episode, gratitude, was actually kind of timely, and so we decided to air this anyways. So we hope you enjoy it, and just know that uh, we're all in this together, and we're going to get through this. On to the episode. Welcome to Writing on Wednesdays. I'm Nicole Rokas, an author, speaker, and writing coach in Toronto. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician living in St. Louis. Writing on Wednesdays is a podcast about building a healthy and sustainable writing process from beginning to end, but mostly in the middle. So get your pens ready, pull up a chair, and join us for a weekly Wednesday writing date. Hey, Sarah, you know how it's hard to be grateful? Yeah, I'm always amazed at how difficult it is for me to write a thank you note. Like, it takes five minutes, and yet <laughs> I'm not sure what the hurdle is. But Yeah, and also apparently gratitude is really important and beneficial. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they say. Yeah. Um, so today I thought we could talk a bit about how to cultivate gratitude, both as writers but also just as human beings, and why it's so important. And this is kind of at the top of your mind right now because you just released a gratitude journal. I did. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So if um, I'll talk a bit about that at the end of this segment, mm -hmm. but if some yeah. of these strategies and stuff sound like people sound like stuff that people want to try, maybe they could look into my new journal because um, it might be useful for people. Yeah. Also, it's just really beautiful. It is it's super beautiful. Okay, so Sarah, let's start with like, what is gratitude? Off the top of your head, how, in your own words, how would you define gratitude? I, I mean, to me, gratitude is synonymous with thankfulness, being thankful, giving thanks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I often feel like when I hear gratitude, I feel a little defensive or something weird because I always think it's harder to be a certain way than it is to do a certain thing. Like, oh, I'm much more action-oriented. That's interesting, because I think of it almost exclusively as action. Like, I think of thankfulness not so much as feeling, but as action. Like, as in you show your thankfulness. Yeah. By saying thank thank you, and not just, like, like saying thank you, but actively thinking about um, times and places to say thank you. And I, I think I notice that in myself, because I often retroactively notice a place where I could have been uh, more actively expressing the thankfulness that I felt. Yeah. But I feel like, to me, like it's it's always tied up with that action. Yeah. Well, I think for a lot of people, though, they maybe resist gratitude because they feel like that's just too hard of a hurdle. Is like, well, I can say thank you and I can think of something at the end of a day that I'm grateful for, but I'm never going to be a thankful person. I'm not, I'm never going to be grateful all the time. So why, like, why bother? 
I don't know. I oh, I have felt like that because I don't feel like it's something that comes naturally to me necessarily. Um, and so the journal that I mentioned before, I named it a journal of Thanksgiving. Um, not because I like the holiday Thanksgiving, although I do like the holiday Thanksgiving, but because to me, that's an action to give thanks. And that oh, lowers, yeah. like mm-hmm. for me, that like, that makes things more finite and accessible. Rather than saying thankfulness. Yeah. Or even gratitude. Yeah. So I looked up a few different definitions of gratitude because it's kind of one of those words that, um, especially nowadays, we hear a lot. It's a buzzword. But I don't know that we stop to think about what it actually means. So the first definition that showed up on Google kind of gets back to what you were saying, Sarah. It means the quality of being thankful as well as the readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. I feel like mm-hmm. that's kind of exactly yeah. what you were Yeah, there's about. like that reciprocity of like um, not just saying thank you, but uh, yeah, as I put it there, returning kindness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were a few points that I found uh, by a guy named Robert Emmons, and he wrote a book, Why Gratitude is Good. And he points out three sort of prongs of gratitude. He says that gratitude is, first of all, an affirmation of goodness. Um, it's the recognition of the source, that the sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. So it's like... Mm, that's an important one, yeah. It's not like, oh, like, I'm grateful that I have great hair or something. <laughs> Although, I mean, hey, I'm grateful that I have great hair. I mean... But it's like... Why not? Why can't I be thankful that for that? I... I guess, but even that is outside of ourselves in in a way because we didn't do anything to bring that about. No, we didn't merit it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then thirdly, it's the awareness of how we've been supported and affirmed by other people and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's in a way, it's like seeing yourself as not an island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seeing how connected you are to other people. Yeah. It's, I think one interesting thing about gratitude is that it is, um, it's, um, it's not just about the present moment. Cause I often think like in terms of how we're socialized, we'll, you know, be socialized to say, thank you just as like as a routine matter, of course, but it's also about in the past because you can say, you know, I'm thankful for things that happened in the past. I am, uh, I have positive memories from the past and it is something that we can look forward to into the future which is, I mean, to me as a kind of optimistic person, basically optimistic person, like I think that that's part of, like I'm thankful for what I have now and that gives me good hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found a a great quote about that, Um, like that sort of past, present, future aspect of gratitude on Mm -hmm. the Harvard Health blog. And the quote is, people can apply gratitude to the past by retrieving positive memories and being thankful for elements of childhood or past blessings the present by not taking good fortune for granted as it comes and the future by maintaining a hopeful and optimistic attitude. But you know what, Sarah, like I think like the thing that makes gratitude so powerful is that it can be cultivated, not just in response to the good things, but in response to like the so-called bad things in our life. So this past present future thing, I can look back on like memories from the past that were good, but I can also look back on really difficult times and practice gratitude towards those for whatever they have may have taught me or 
whatever in my life that came about, like, as a result of those times. By Like, it, it's kind of a way of reframing, I think. This is making me think about um, what I've heard about happiness and research around happiness, which is that you might have a kind of set point of where you are, but you can move up and down more happy or less happy. And I wonder if gratitude is like that too, where, you know, maybe some people are more naturally, you know, happier, optimistic, more grateful um, than others, but you can still um, improve where you are. You can still increase your gratitude from whatever point you are at, at this present moment. I think so. But with that is the fact that you can also move backwards, which I think mm-hmm. is oh, yeah. is one reason why research is showing how important it is to be intentional about gratitude. Because mm-hmm. for most of us, I do think some of us are like more predisposed towards being more gracious or grateful or whatever. But I think for most of us, it's a struggle or at least at certain times can be a struggle. Mm-hmm. And if we're not intentional, I, I think our default tends to be more towards like seeing the negative or complaining or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I'm wondering how, how do you see this relating to writing? There's a few different directions that I I kind of, my mind sort of veers off in. One of the things that I've always been really struck by as someone who has read a fair amount about gratitude, um, is that so many of the studies that try to measure gratitude or measure its positive effects on people have required participants to do some form of writing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to enter a gratitude journal. But just like, yeah, I've seen a lot of those like prompts. Yeah. I'm thinking actually when my husband and I first started dating, we were long distance. Um, like six weeks after we started dating, he moved away. And um, for a while, we actually kept a little website, like a private website, where we would post like three things that we were grateful for in the day. And it was like a fun, almost like a kind of get to know you yeah. kind of thing, like just to see what we would post and, yeah, you know, share fun videos and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Basically, like there have been a lot of studies, you know, that have been like, oh, uh, you know, keep a gratitude journal and write down one thing a day or three mm-hmm. things a day or three yeah. things a week or whatever. Um And regardless of, like, the particularities, it's all shown a positive effect on people's well-being and sense of Mm -hmm. well-being. And so there seems to be something, like, it it seems to be an effect that's more pronounced when you write these things down as opposed to just sort of think of something at the end of the day. Um, and, And that's always struck me because it reminds me that, like, how how powerful writing is, whether mm-hmm. it's writing for ourselves mm-hmm. or writing for a public. Like we have we have a huge amount of power even just over shaping our brain. Mm-hmm. You know, this is making me think, if we're thinking about um gratitude and writing, it's making me think of two different things. One is a podcast episode I heard with Jessica Leahy, who she's the co-host of hashtag M writing. Um, but I think this is a different podcast. And she talked about all the thank you notes that she handwrites, and it was incredibly inspiring mm-hmm. to me and also a little bit like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I could ever do this. She also doesn't have, like, a small child and a husband who works yeah. as much as mine does. But but the whole point of it was just like, oh, my goodness, so much gratitude that she expressed. Like, she's like, what does she do during the evening? She writes thank you notes. She handwrites thank you notes to all the people that, you know, she's – um, who've invited her to speak and just all, all kinds of handwritten thank you notes. And it's just, 
that kind of thing is incredible to me in part because like that's really difficult for me mm-hmm. but i you know it's you know i love it when i get a thank you note from someone and it feels really good yeah really cuz i i actually used to do something like that and i found that more more people than i would have thought like got seemed kind of weirded out <laughs> i wonder i wonder what it was it could have it been that around. i that i was too gushy or something i don't i don't really remember but i i remember feeling well, like i'm going to stop doing this cuz i don't want to make i don't know i think like she was writing uh, from what i remember she was writing in a kind of professional context like yeah. she went and spoke at someone's school and she wrote them a thank you note hey thank you for the invite it was great to be there that's yeah that's you know? maybe a little different that i was doing it more in like a relational thing like oh, okay like, Here are yeah three i didn't get i appreciate you about you randomly oh no to me that sounds like you know like a year of thank you notes yeah which um which i i think there are several books out around that which is a different kind of different kind of thing on the topic of writing things down and and how it improves your outlook, uh, there's a really good book called The Gratitude Diaries by Janice Kaplan. And actually, this was a book my doctor recommended for me. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's uh, that sounds like a lovely doctor to be recommending yeah. something like that. And not just here, have a pill. Yeah, the full title is The Gratitude Diaries: How You're Looking on the Bright Side Can Transform Your Life. And it's kind of you know one of those very popular nowadays hybrids between like memoir and I don't know creative nonfiction journalism research type stuff but basically she she does gratitude journaling for a year um and I think also as part of that she like vows not to complain verbally oh interesting um but every month she she adopts a different theme so I think like the first or second month was like her husband so Everything she journaled at the end of the day, like the, the things she was grateful for, was about her husband. Um, and hmm. then the, another month was like her kids. And so she, every month had a different theme or object. But then along the side, she like did all of this research on what gratitude is and talked to all these researchers and scientists and all of that. So it's a cool. It's, it's a cool book. And my doctor recommended it because it like, there there's like a lot of, medically substantive things in there that that are helpful mm-hmm. for people yeah. so i recommend it as yeah. well <laughs> another thing i'm thinking about with gratitude and writing is how we as writers write acknowledgments and acknowledgments oh, yeah. are often a series of thank yous and i'm thinking of the acknowledgments for my dissertation i went a little bit a uh, little bit maverick and just wrote thank you so and so thank you so and so thank like everything was like began with a thank you yeah um and on one hand like i think it's really great but i i want to i want to quibble a bit with acknowledgments um because so often you see this part about like thank you to my family for putting up with this like it's like the gist of it yeah you know what i'm talking about and I always wonder about that because I'm like, well, honestly, that sounds like humble bragging to me. But continue. I know, like, I, I, I don't know. It's weird to me, and I, this is not a critique of anyone who, you know, do the, did that in their book. But I, I thought about, you know, how will I write my acknowledgments, and, you know, I, I can't imagine writing in my acknowledgments. Thank you to my husband for putting up with this thing that is my actual career, like, yeah, <laughs> like. To me, that kind of comment like plays into like the whole workaholic culture. And in order to show yeah. that we really did our job and we really like worked hard on this, we have to 
make it seem as though this was a living hell for everyone around us because that's how intense mm-hmm. we worked. And Yeah. Well, to which means it's like, well, you set your deadline too soon or... Or you have work-life you know. balance issues or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know... I, I mean, I don't want this to be, like, a critique of, like, everyone who has experienced that. Because, like, you know, I'm thinking of the last, like, month or two of my dissertation. Like, yeah, there was some work-life imbalance because I was like, I have to finish. Also, I have an infant and I have really limited childcare, And, yeah, it was kind of hellish for several months. Um, but, like, the whole grand scope of the years and years of work, you know, it was just like having a job. And sometimes jobs are hard and sometimes they're easier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have different seasons in our job. And that doesn't mean, like... I don't know. It like so I guess what I was what I'm like to sum it up. I'm thinking yes, it's important to be grateful for all those things, and I'm looking forward to writing the acknowledgments of my book. But I'm also not feeling any need to be like, oh, my poor children who had to, you know, deal with their mother. You know, writing a book. Like no, this is this is my job. You know, it's, it's part yeah. of my job, but it's my job. And also, okay. it it does a bit of a dis disservice to the people in our lives. Like, if all they mm-hmm. contributed to your book was that they put up with you during that time. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll see things like, you know, and they provided meals and stuff. Or like, but, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel bad, like, you know, I'm getting into gardening. And I would never, like, I don't know, be like, oh, thank you to my family for dealing with the fact that I was outside for days on end yeah, planting, you know, the wildflowers. When I wrote the acknowledgments for my first book, I had a paragraph at the end about my husband and... I actually, like, I I struggled with that because my husband isn't super, like, touchy-feely, and I don't know. I I also feel like he's, like, a man's man, and I felt weird about writing acknowledgments that thanked him because I I wanted to be, to write one that was kind of gushy, but I always didn't, I also didn't want to, like, embarrass him. So you wanted to be warm, but not, not over the top. I, I wrote... A rough draft and I, I actually like sent it to two of his best friends and because I, I didn't want him to see it before the book was published um oh, okay and I was, I was like, like what you, you, you know like what do you think about this and um both of them like independently wrote me back and was like that is like it, it sounds kind of like stilted and it doesn't sound very gracious like it sounds like you're sort of distant and I told them well I'm trying like I'm trying to write one that will be guy friendly. So I ended up doing it over again and just uh-huh. writing warmly and, and all like just exactly my own words. And I sent it back to them and they were like, oh, this is so, so much better. And just oh, put this in. Good. Then my, my husband ended up really liking it too. Oh, so, that's really, really sweet. Yeah. I'm I'm also thinking about acknowledgments, <laughs> slightly, slightly jealously, jealously, where they're like, oh, and you know, thank you to my spouse who read all my drafts. And um, my husband and I joke that I have to make an audiobook, otherwise he'll never actually read my book. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. He might actually read it, but <laughs> my husband does read all my drafts. Oh yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, that's. But no, it's that's also really about. Nice. Uh, it's I write in a field that he has training in, um, some mm-hmm. ways more training than yeah. I do. So so um, gratitude, it's important. <laughs> so Cole, what else are you thinking about in terms of gratitude? Uh, I'm thinking about times like I don't know if this is a fair assessment Sarah but I feel like you are more inclined towards gratitude like and maybe I'm a more optimistic person I think in general yeah just like if we're talking about like baseline happiness baseline optimism that kind of thing like I think my set point is just like whoa like you don't have to judge me (laughs) (laughs) no 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 I'm talking about just like that like you know in terms of our personalities like 
So you're saying I'm a sad loser is what you're saying. I, I Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> Sarah also tends to globalize less than I do. Um. <laughs> yes, this is this is true. I, I don't typically catastrophize. I don't typically globalize. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say I am somebody that for whom gratitude in general is a bit more of a struggle. Uh, but also then in some ways that makes me be more intentional about it. So then I find that I'm often more grateful than other people I know. But Mm -hmm. in any case, there have been a lot of times in my life or seasons where I've fallen off the gratitude bandwagon. And I notice that it, it actually really does have an effect, not only on my life and my quality of life and my mental health and all of that, but also on my creativity. I feel that when... I'm practicing gratitude. My mind is more open. I'm more curious about things. Maybe because I am more open to the good in things and to seeing the good. And so that makes me less fearful or defensive just towards people, life, experiences. And I find that when I'm not putting gratitude into practice, I start to sort of like become more narrow-minded. Oh, interesting. And like more myopic, myopic, resentful, almost like in a resentful way, I would say where I'm like, and and like feeling like I want things to go my way, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's writing, whether it's it's life in general. And this reminds me of a journalist whose work I'm familiar with. He's he's since passed away. His name was John Mays, Um, but he, he was a famous journalist in the Toronto area as elsewhere. And he wrote a memoir because he also struggled with depression. And I heard a talk by him one time where he was talking about depression and someone asked, like, what what is one of the things that, like, what is one of your, your telltale signs that you're about to enter a depression? And he said, it's actually when I stop being grateful for little things, like when his wife cooks some dinner oh, or really? whatever and he forgets to say thank you or... Or forgets to, you know, he can feel that he, like, kind of just, like, coasts through things without appreciating things on an Mm -hmm. internal level. Mm -hmm. That he may feel perfectly fine emotionally at that point, but that that attitude always seems to precede entering a depression. Um, And I've always thought about that, that, like, for me, I I see the same thing, but not just with relation to depression, but, like, a whole the whole part of my mind that can like imagine goodness and and curiosity and staying open to life that I need when I'm writing. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about your gratitude journal? Yeah. I, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. I, I haven't really mentioned this book project because it's not really a book. I didn't do very much original writing. Um, but I did help create this journal. It's called A Journal of Thanksgiving. Record three years of gratitude in a sentence a day. And it just came out a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Basically, the subtitle says it all. It's just a sentence a day thing that you write down that you're grateful for. But you go through it three years. um, And you can start on any date. You actually just write the year Mm -hmm. in. It's like a sentence a day journal. But... But with all these great quotes that are yeah, every day has season has a quote from, and this is this is something that's going to definitely resonate more with like people coming from a faith based crowd because the quotes are usually from like the early church fathers, 
first thousand cent- uh, years, um, as well as like the Old Testament and certain liturgical services and things like that. But it's there are these really beautiful and honestly life changing quotes. Like just gathering the three hundred and sixty five quotes was probably the most rewarding and in a way life changing or perspective changing writing exercise I've ever done. I remember you telling me how much fun it was to think about like how they related to seasons and special yeah, yeah. days of the year. Yeah, put a lot of work like, into that's, like that's lining like things fun, up. <laughs> yeah, it's a really beautiful and, and fun project there. Yeah. So um, if you're someone that finds it difficult to give gratitude or to give thanks, at the end of the book, there is a list of 33 prompts and they're just questions that you can look at. If you get to the end of a day one day and you're like, I don't have anything to give thanks for you can just look at the prompts and answer the question so yeah it's a good it's a good resource I think I have not got yet gotten my author copies so I'm like looking forward to practicing gratitude myself yeah it must be a pleasure to like make something that you yourself can use yeah without having to like yeah. read my own words because that's just well, I don't yeah. like to read my yeah, own books yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know that I would either so Okay, well, we'll put a link to that journal in the show notes. And in the meantime, listeners, what is one thing you're grateful for? We'd love to hear about that on Facebook, in the Facebook group, or anywhere else you can find us, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And now we've come to tips and tools, a segment about building better writing systems one small step at a time. This week, Sarah... You're sharing something with us about Instagram. Yes, and I kind of feel like my tool is, um, have you heard of Google? Well, you should use it. Um, but basically, What's Google, I decided to enter <laughs> the 21st century and learn how to do Instagram stories and also Instagram videos. And for all of y'all who already do this, like I know that this is not really hard, but it's kind of intimidating to do for the very first time. And I think especially for videos, I've done Facebook videos multiple times before Facebook live and uploaded stuff, but I just never done anything on Instagram. And so I decided to, Hey, Google it. And I'll link to one of the videos that I watched. It was just a fun, like, here are things you can do. And, you know, on the newest 2020 version of Instagram and like kind of decorative things you can do. I mean, it looks like you can get really like sucked into all the gifs and all, all the things, but it's, it's, did been you just say gif? For... Oh God. Should we, uh, do we need to argue about this? <laughs> I always forget what the maker of it, what the inventor of it wanted versus what everybody says. It's gif. Gif um, is the peanut butter. Well, anyway, um, it's, it's been a fun thing to explore and I think it's also been fun to explore like the ways that people are really creative with this because I also haven't watched very many um, Instagram stories or Facebook stories. It's kind of like, uh, okay. And now I've been doing it some and I'm like, okay, I get why people enjoy this. Um, and I can I can see some enjoyment for myself as well, especially for people that I know, less so for um, you know people that I'm not as connected to. Um, but yeah, so it's been fun and I'll link to the to one of the videos that I found with the tips, but I, I feel like in a way this is like a like, so just use Google, but for real, like, you know, I, I, it, there's all kinds of new tools out there and new things to explore and they can be really intimidating, but you know, if it's been out there for more than a week, someone has probably made a how-to guide to it and can take you in some baby steps and help you figure out how to use it, yeah. how to use it. Um, My question is like, what are the advantages of doing 
I do stories, but I don't do videos. It's which seems a lot more work intensive to me. But like, there's so many different, you know, avenues and channels out there. Why, why did you want to start doing Instagram videos? Um, because it's another way to talk to people. Is it like that's is it, it like a growing the, the bigger thing, a growing platform or? Um, I th- I'm thinking about different ways to reach people beyond the island of my website. Um, because I'm, I'm in a phase where I know I need to reach a different kind of audience. I have a very strong audience in one particular area and I need to grow that. And one thing I'm thinking about doing, which, uh, spoiler alert coming up, we'll be talking about social media strategies in a few weeks. I'll have an episode on that. And I've been thinking about doing Instagram and Facebook videos around particular books that I read that are in this super specific niche. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to learn how to do an Instagram video before I can, you know, tailor it specifically to this, like, this target audience. I guess my question, to be more specific, is, like, why, if if someone is already on Instagram with doing the pictures, just the regular Instagram, like, why also do the videos? Is that a different segment of people? Or I think it's a oh I don't know if it's a different segment of people. For me, in a way, it's actually easier to do a video, especially if I'm thinking about a book review. Like to sit and be like, I need to write a paragraph about Bishop So and So's serious hardcore book that I read because like I'm talking about like super niche kinds of books. Um, to write a paragraph about that is actually pretty intimidating. But to say like you know show people the cover of the book, talk about the author for a few minutes. And talk about the content. Like, that's a, that's a very easy conversational thing for mm. me. I think it's kind of like how um, how I experience the difference between podcasts and blogs. I really enjoy blogs. I also really enjoy podcasts. And podcasts can be so much more conversational. And videos are a way of being conversational. I'm not thinking about, like, the really polished, like, advertising videos. Just, like, these casual ones. I know people that, like, my husband is a video person. And... Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, if you want your husband to read your book, it should be a podcast. And for me, it's like, mm-hmm. if I want my husband to like be able to talk about a certain topic with me, it's like I send him a YouTube lecture about it or something mm. and he'll watch that. Whereas like, I don't watch videos hardly at all. I'm not a video person, like at all. Yeah. Conversational video, short video, long video, whatever. Like, I'm just not a video person. I am. Um, I struggle with it because usually if I'm on Instagram or Facebook, I'm not in a place where I want the audio on. No, yeah. And which, whereas when I'm po- listening to a podcast, I explicitly do want the audio on. And so for me, that's kind of a tricky, a tricky thing. But, you know, I've, I realize more and more that the person I'm trying to reach isn't identical to me and that's okay. Well, I, I, I realize more and more I don't have to make for me like, you know, they're always like, you know, write, write to yourself, write what you want to be able to read. Well, you know, I'm not the same as everybody else. And my readers are all exactly like me, so. <laughs> well, you have an audience. And if they're not, I try to change them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's tricky. Well, we'll talk about this more because we, we do have a social media uh, episode coming up, so. Also, we can talk about narcissism. <laughs> oh, you know, that too. <laughs> Hey Sarah, let's uh, let's share some let's share some good reads. <laughs> what have you been reading lately? Okay, 
So I think I mentioned in another episode how I read the book you re- recommended, The Dinner by Herman Koch, which was uh, traumatizing and difficult. And I'm not sure why I read that while I had the flu. But on a brighter not note. <laughs> yeah, I know. You warned me. Uh, on a brighter note, the book that I read most recently that just had me completely enthralled was not a novel. It's called How Not to Diet, The Groundbreaking Science of Healthy Permanent Weight Loss. And to be, it's, it's by... um. It's by Michael Greger. And to be clear, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm pregnant right now. It's not a good idea to try to lose weight while you're pregnant unless you're um, significantly heavier than I am. But I am interested in eating healthier. And when I started reading this book, I'm, I'm not even sure how it, how it ended up on my, on my library account. Um, but I thought, oh, you know, this will be something to skim through. And I did do a lot of skimming. But I couldn't put it down. I like I was like like just like you would with a really engrossing novel where you're like oh, it's like Friday morning and like I know I could be doing something else but like maybe I could read for two hours and I just have to finish it. Yeah, you haven't you haven't stopped talking about it since. I know it's a huge book and it, like that like the notes are almost fifty percent of the book and I I just got a copy from the library like a physical copy and I was like where are the notes in this and then I realized it's a hefty hefty book. And there are so many notes that they had to do like a uh, like a little um like a URL thing, and you can go find all the notes online because there are so many notes. Like the book is a chunk, and the books wait like know, even in the hard another. copy they couldn't put all the notes. Yeah, there are no notes in the hard copy because you have to go online to read all the notes because there are so because it would be it would be massive. It would be an absolutely like like how thick is know, the book without the notes hard copy? The well, oh my know, gosh, like yeah, it's it's a it's a significant it's book, like four inches. Thick. Sarah's okay, holding well, like three inches. Sarah's like no, holding like three her inches. fingers three or four inches apart. Yeah, it's like it's like three inches. Um, you know, chunky book, and that's not including the notes, which are another, you know, double the size of the book. So, so anyway, if that's the kind of thing that interests you, um, fascinating research based. It's all research, and yes, I did skim some of it. So I'm like, okay, this, you know, okay, I'm convinced. I don't need to read another thing about. Can you just summarize his general ap- approach or like his general argument or approach? Because there's so many dieting and nutrition books out there. Like, so how this, does this? So this is written itself? by a medical doctor who is not selling you anything and doesn't make any money from this. Except for his book royalties, but anyway. No, 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 no. He donate, donates the book royalties to charity. Oh, All of, of his speaking money goes to charity. I know, right? I was like, okay, well, here's someone who, uh, you know, is really dedicated to the cause of what he's promoting. Um, he doesn't sell supplements. He doesn't any of those things. And it's clearly, like, in all the places, all the proceeds from this go to charity. Like, he, he's a practicing med- medical doctor. I assume that's how he makes his living. And he doesn't make any money from this. So, I mean, one, he has that going for him. Like, he's not being like, so, for... You know, 79 bucks a month, I'll sell you these supplements, um, so which is nice. But he's basically promoting a whole foods plant-based diet, which is not the same as vegan, but it overlaps a lot with vegan. Um, so lots of fruits and vegetables, very minimal processed food, minimal animal products. And I didn't, I didn't realize that when I started reading the book, actually. Um, I was just like, oh, this is like super, super sciencey evidence-based but written in a way that I as a non-scientist can read and I was just floored by all the evidence around like oh why you really shouldn't be eating bacon <laughs> like just completely completely floored by it. it was it was it felt kind of like you know I I, I know listeners I know I this book has like stolen my best friend and yeah put some <laughs> crazy vegan person like 
Sarah, I learned about this book when you were like, basically you Google chatted me and were like, I think I might become vegan. <laughs> <laughs> what? But to be clear, it's not the same thing as vegan. Um, and I don't um, I don't think that I will ever actually become, quote unquote, vegan. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a it's definitely interesting. I think the big the big takeaway for me was not you should eat, quote unquote, vegan all the time, all the way, which is kind of like the big difference here is that this isn't a all or nothing kind of identity, um, but rather helping evaluate better and worse choices and not saying, well, this is the thing I eat. This is the thing I don't eat, but rather like, well, you know, if I'm going to eat a sandwich, what would be the better one, which would be the less, less good one. Um, if I'm going to eat vegetables, like what would be better ways? What would be, you know, which, which ones are better? Which ones are, are not as good? I mean, they're all pretty good, but like this huge spectrum of options and helping decide between all the options of what I could eat and not feel like that th- this is an all or nothing or a, um, uh, you know, a rigid kind of thing. Yeah. I can see that being helpful since we do live in a very all or nothing culture. And especially when it mm-hmm. comes to like oh, yeah. dieting and nutrition and way of ways of eating. Um, mm-hmm. So and much like, of really it is like, like, kind of like pseudo religious. Yeah. Like, like ban gluten. You're and, good and I'm bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, like be gluten free or be vegetarian. Clean or, eating. Quote unquote clean. Like yeah. it's, it's as a really religious uh, way of talking about yeah. food. And this is like, the antithesis of religious talking about food. This is well. It also seems more you nuanced. Know, here's what, what the science. Oh, extremely nuanced. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, I'm 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 looking forward to reading it. I am probably not going to expunge meat from my diet, but um, but it it does sound like really interesting to read. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was just I was just amazed from a writing perspective that I couldn't put down a book that was like here are science facts. <laughs> I love books like that. Of all the things to be like, I have to read. Yeah. <laughs> so what what's your read, Nicole? The book um, that I am that I am talking about is also nonfiction. And it's called It's Better Than It Looks, Reasons for Optimism in an Age of Fear by Greg Easterbrook, written in 2018 after Trump became president. And I'm just going to say it up front. I think everyone should read this book because mm-hmm. we are entering an election year election season we're in it we're in the election year as we're recording this i'm voting in like a week <laughs> and i mean i live in canada but this still very much the hype and the drama really affects us up here as well i don't even know where to start this is such a good book greg easterbrook has a background in journalism and he has been in the biz for decades so he's not new on the block you know trying to write his breakout success book this is a new york times bestseller He's been around long enough to to be able to speak with expertise to the different trends in media and reporting. It's not a book on politics, although although there are chapters that talk about um, issues within politics. It's about all of the myriad topics in contemporary life in which the media and society and culture in general tend towards catastrophism. And why a lot of that catastrophism is not only unfounded, and in many cases just the facts that are used are just, like, untrue and the reporting is untrue, but also how it gets in the way of, like, what he advocates, which is dynamism or being able to sort of proactively and optimistically adapt to changing um, social, economic, environmental climates. 
um, which is what humans are good at. So his argument, his overall argument isn't that things are totally fine and there's no reason to worry. It's more so that there are some real problems. And again, he writes on political topics, economic issues, um, uh, issues in like warfare and how wars are being fought. He talks about the environment. Um, But it's more that like, there are some things that need to change, but they're not actually what we hear about in the media. And well, they're not the kinds of things that get you to click on the link. No, and also that often the way things are portrayed, whether by the media or politicians or what have you, is it it actually isn't necessarily as bad as what they're saying. And by setting it up as in the the world is terrible, the earth is going to be uninhabitable, like there's no jobs for anyone, all of that, like that actually gets in the way of dialogue and it actually gets in the way mm-hmm. of like true change. It's so well researched. He's completely nonpartisan in his writing style. I don't know much about him in terms of his actual outlook, but he, his criticisms of things are like across the board and he writes in a way that is like so refreshing refreshingly nonpartisan that I was like wow um well I just requested it on my library app so I should be getting it soon and that's it for this week's installment of writing on Wednesdays You can find show notes at writingonwednesdays.com. Ratings and reviews on iTunes are an important way for people to find this podcast. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate the show and share it with a friend. And in the meantime, you can find both of us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My website is www.nicolerokas.com, where you can subscribe to my blog and newsletter. And I'm online at sarah-bariza.com where you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter and find my blog and other podcasts. As always, you can connect with other writers like you in our Facebook group. Just search for Writing on Wednesdays. I'm Sarah Bariza. And I'm Nicole Rokas. Until next Wednesday, happy writing. Happy writing.